With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler, and I'll be flying solo on today's show. Curtis, my regular co-host, had some live stuff pop up at the last second before the show, so he was not able to join us today. But it's all good. I've got you guys covered today, and Kurt will be back for Thursday's game preview show. But on today's show, I will be emptying out the listener mailbag. With all your questions and comments looking back at last week's dismantling in Mississippi State and also forward to this week's matchup on Rocky Top against the Volunteers of Tennessee in a rivalry game. And towards the end of the show, I'm also going to bring in Blake Topmeyer, the Tennessee football beat writer from the Knoxville News Sentinel, to get an insider's take on the Volunteers 2017 squad. First, though, just a few quick reminders. I know a lot of you guys are are new to the show and checking us out for the first or second time here. And if that is you, or even if you've been listening for a while and just haven't had a chance to do so, definitely check us out on Twitter. Follow us there, at Glory underscore UGA. We love to hear your thoughts, kind of interact with you guys there, so do not be shy. Follow us, and and, and please definitely share your thoughts with us. You can also do so uh, on email, which is GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com, if that might be a little easier for you guys. And you also, of course check out the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. And uh, real quick here also, feel free to check us out on any number of different podcasting platforms, whatever works best for you guys. We try to make it available on a number of different platforms so you guys can kind of pick and choose what works best for you. We're on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn apps, uh, all that good stuff. Also on the Doll Sports Radio internet radio site, part of the V-Sport-O internet radio network. That's dogsportsradio.com. So just kind of pick and choose what works best for you guys. Hopefully, at least one of those will work out for you. But let's go ahead and dig into today's mailbag show. We're going to try to empty out as many of these questions as we possibly can. Hopefully, empty the whole thing. So without any further ado, let's get into this. First question here is from Jack. Jack, we appreciate the question, bud. And on... This particular question, I love this question. I love these types of questions. It's kind of scales of 1 to 10 here. And Jack asks, on a scale of 1 to 10, what are the odds that we run the table the rest of the way in the regular season? If I had to pick, I'd put it somewhere between a 6 and a 7. If I could, I'd say 6 and a half, but I know it got to go one way or the other here. So I'd probably say, probably lean more towards a 6. And that's just really based on the fact that this is college football, guys. I mean, anything can happen on any given Saturday we know that it's just it's an unpredictable sport if we don't come out and play our a game and a team and the team that we're playing just playing lights out and playing above themselves it, it, we can lose to anybody but if you listen to the show on Monday you heard me say this and if you didn't listen to the show on Monday I'll kind of repeat it here real quick I will say this I think through four games this season a full third of the season we have shown that from here on out every single game we play will be about us okay how well we play do we play to the standard we have set for ourselves through four games because if we do if we bring our a game or b plus game every game here on out 
I don't think there's a team on our schedule that will beat us. I think we're better than every single team on our schedule. But that doesn't mean we're going to win every single game. Of course not. You know, we very easily could show up and, and be flat one day and not bring our, our best game while the team that we're playing plays lights out, like I said, and they beat us. You know, a team like Missouri is a team that could do that, I think. And Missouri's not a great football team. We all know that at this point. They're one and three. But that offense is very, very dangerous. And if they get clicking for any one game, they force a couple turnovers defensively, they could beat us. You know, South Carolina is the same thing. You know, I think we're better than them. But if we get them at home and we kind of sleepwalk after Florida, if we, if we happen to end up winning in Jacksonville, we come home, play South Carolina, could be a potential trap game setting where Jake Billing comes out and he's on fire, hits a couple big plays. We turn the ball over a couple times and boof, before you know it, we lose a game. So, it's possible for us to lose a game. No doubt it's possible. And you probably even say it's likely that we'll lose somewhere along the way. But I, I still will say every single game from here on out is about us through the rest of the regular season. If we play at the top of our game, even if all of our opponents play at the top of their game, if we bring our A game, we will win every single game. But it's hard to predict us to sit here. We're talking about guys 18 and 22 years old being ready to play on a consistent basis, game in and game out at that high level. We haven't shown the ability to do that as a program in any sort of consistent fashion for years now. Hopefully that starts to change this year, because if it does, I think we can have a very big season in store for us. But great question, Jack. Uh, Next question here, number two is from Reggie. Appreciate it, Reggie. And Reggie asks, what is the recipe to keep John Kelly in check? And if you guys have not paid much attention to the Tennessee Volunteer football team this year, John Kelly is a monster, dude. He's a stud. He's their, he's their tailback. He's the guy that's replacing Alvin Kamara. Obviously, Jalen Hurd left midway through the year last year to go be a wide receiver slash tight end to Baylor. That looks all, that's obviously working out for him there. But John Kelly is the real deal. Uh, we'll talk more about him on the preview show on Thursday, but... This guy is completely legit. He's as good of a running back as there is in the country, and I truly mean that. I know Saquon Barkley. I watched him on Saturday night against Iowa. That guy is a stud. He might be the best player in the country all the way around. He, he He's crazy good. But John Kelly's not too far behind him, and he's a lot like Saquon Barkley. Maybe not quite as big and physical and strong, but he runs with good power. Uh, he runs behind his pads and, and runs with good leverage, but the best aspect of his game is his feet. He's just got incredible feet. You get him in open space and he is so tough to bring down. That combination of quickness, agility, acceleration, power. I mean, he he is the real deal, guys. He's tough. Uh, their offensive line is better than it has been in recent years. But I think the recipe to keep John Kelly in check is the same recipe that we've used to keep uh, Brandon Wimbush in check, Josh Adams in check at Notre Dame, to keep uh, Aris Williams from Mississippi State, uh, Nick Fitzgerald, keep those guys in check. Because we face some really good rush offense this year. I mean, Notre Dame, look what Notre Dame's doing to every other team they play this year on the ground. They're just running over people. Same thing with Mississippi State. They've been gashing people on the ground, but not so much us. We're giving up less than 100 yards a game on average through the first four games. And I think a big part of that that people aren't really paying as much attention to. Obviously, you, you hear a lot about Roquan Smith, deservedly so. I mean, the guy's he's crazy good, and he's just playing at an insanely high level right now. Lorenzo Carter, Devin Bell, I mean, all those guys are getting a lot of accolades, and again, deservedly so. But one aspect of our rush defense that I think is being underestimated to a degree is our ability to win in man coverage against our the opposing wide receivers. I know you say, well, that, that, that's nothing, that has nothing to do with the running game, but it really does. If our corners are able to consistently man up against wide receivers, like they have been at this point, even against a receiver like Equinemius St. Brown, as good as he is, Donald Gray from Mississippi State is a really good player. Not as good as Equinemius St. Brown, but he's really good. If we're able to consistently do that like we have to this point, it allows us to dedicate more attention, more resources to slowing down the run game, get more bodies towards the line of scrimmage, which is – it's. That, that's, to me, the biggest reason why we've been able to be so successful against the run this year. It also goes into the, you know, being able to play a lot of our base personnel, Lorenzo Carter being able to play 
uh, kind of that hybrid outside linebacker star position where he can play in space a little bit, but also uh, give support against the run. And we're able to do that give and play those looks because our corners, particularly DeAndre Baker, have played lights out matching up in man coverage against receivers. And if we're consistently able to do that down the stretch, I think we'll be in really good shape. I think we'll be in really good shape on Saturday against uh, Tennessee to slow down John Kelly if we're able to keep a guy like Marquez Callaway, who's been a really good receiver for them, kind of been a revelation of that position when Jawan Jennings, who was supposed to be their number one receiver coming into the year, goes down in game one against Georgia Tech with a wrist injury. He's out for the season. So if we're able to to, to man up again on Marquez Callaway, who is a good player, we'll see if we're able to do it for the for the third time here uh, in some of these big-time matchups. If we're able to do that, I, I like our chances to at least keep John Kelly in check. He's really good. I don't know if we completely shut him down. But uh, I think we can at least hold him in check if we're able to man up on the outside and allow us to really focus on slowing down their running game, which is what they do really well right now. Uh, number three here, DMAC. DMAC, appreciate the question, buddy. DMAC, DMAC asks, why do you think Swift got more carries than Sony Michelle versus Mississippi State? Do you think it will be a trend? Uh, DMAC, it's a good question, man. And honestly, I was wondering that myself a little bit when uh, the game was being played on Saturday night. But really, I think it's all about Sony's health. If, if Sony was healthy enough to be clear, he was healthy enough to be cleared to play. He was, he was obviously, because he did play some. But the fact is, last week, during the week, he didn't practice that much. And for Kirby, he says this a lot if you listen to his press conferences. Practice means something. He he wants to reward the guys that go out there and practice and put forth the effort and get the job done. And also, it's, about, it's a preparation thing. You know, Yes, Sony knows what to do. Sony's been here for a long time, for three and a half years now, going on four years. But... In terms of taking the reps for the specific game plan for Mississippi State, that's something he didn't do as much. That was swifting a lot of those reps. So I think it really was about Sony's help. And it, look, if if Sony is, I mean, we don't know exactly how healthy he was. Maybe seventy five percent. That's just me throwing out a number. Maybe eighty percent. Maybe eighty five percent. Whatever it was, he clearly was not a hundred percent healthy, or he would have gotten a lot more carries. But I think it's a way of saying, look, you know. As, a hundred percent DeAndre Swift might be more effective than a seventy-five to eighty percent Sony Michelle. And if Sony's only seventy-five to eighty percent, why not let him rest up, get healthy, and get ready for the stretch run? When you got a guy like DeAndre Swift, where you don't lose too much when he's in the game. So I think it's a combination of those things. But I would look for Sony to be ready to go here against Tennessee and get a lot more carries than he did on Saturday night against Mississippi State. All right, number four here, Mean Machine. Appreciate the question, dude. Uh, Mean Machine, it's more. It's not a question so much as a comment here. I'm just kind of react to it. Mean Machine says, My favorite play of the whole game against Mississippi State was the Chubb Wild Dog touchdown, mainly because of the blocking. It was a work of art. Mean Machine, I cannot agree more, man. I, I know that the Wild Dog has been the target of a lot of criticism among the Georgia fan base. You know, There's been a lot of people. I, I've got a lot of uh, mail on Twitter and email, too, talking about how we just need to scrap the Wild Dog and people are going to kill themselves. They see us line up in it one more time. And I understood that. We haven't had a ton of success with that play or with that formation up until Saturday. We had, I guess, one touchdown against Appalachian State in the goal line with Sony uh, taking the snap. But outside of that, it hasn't been overly effective. But uh, it, it definitely was in that particular play. And we had some good success with it throughout the game when we ran it against Mississippi State. Chubb goes with a long touchdown to really kind of put the game out of reach. It, it was it was just really, for me, it, it was a work of art. I think it's a great way to say it, Mean Machine. Uh, it was a really well-executed play all the way around. Nick saw the seam. He saw the alley. He was able to accelerate through that hole. Blocking all the way around was great. Jason Stanley, as Kirby mentioned in his, in his post-game press conference, with a, with a, with a key crackback block, kind of just complete ear-hold a guy. Uh, so it's all the way around. It was really well executed. And guys, the, the wild dog will work. 
if we execute it, we just haven't executed it like we needed to through the early part of the season. We did so at a much better, much more consistently, I guess I should say, on Saturday night against Mississippi State. And also it doesn't hurt when you put some guys in motion, which is what I was calling for. I didn't really like what we were doing schematically with the Wild Dog. We were basically just running power right, power left, which can be effective, again, if you can just you know, line up and just bowl over defensive linemen and linebackers over front sevens, which I don't know if our offensive line is really equipped to do that. But when you put a guy in motion, it causes the linebackers to hesitate. And that split second of hesitation with our running backs could be the key between an alley or a seam being there or not being there. So I would like to see a little bit more of that. It looks like we're moving more in that direction, although there really wasn't too much motion on the touchdown run. It was really more Stanley going and kind of mini motion there just to crack back on the uh, linebacker in that particular play. Uh, so it was definitely a work of art, well-executed play. Hopefully we'll see a lot more of that moving forward. Next question here, number five from Ellis. Uh, and Ellis, man, this is a great question. Ellis actually asked this question for the last mailback show going into week four in the last week, but we'd actually recorded the show right before Ellis had the question in, but I told him we would definitely hold on to this and use it this week, and I try my best to be a man of my word. Sometimes I fail, but I try. And uh, in this case, we will definitely be using Ellis's questions because it's a good one. Ellis asks, would Justin Fields have been the number one player in the 2016 and 2017 classes? It's a great question. Uh, I think he, there's a really good chance he could have been the number one player in both classes. I would say there's probably a better chance that he would have been the, the number one player overall in the 2017 classes. You look at the guys who are the top three. There, Jalen Phillips, who is a pass rusher that went to UCLA. You got Najee Harris and Cam Akers filling out the two and three slots. Both those running backs, Najee Harris going to Alabama, Cam Akers to Florida State. All three really good players and, and making somewhat of an impact at this point already. But those guys, I mean, you can maybe say Jalen Phillips is the pass rusher. That's a premium position, but I don't know if it's more of a premium. I think quarterback's more of a premium position than pass rusher. Uh, pass rushers are only a premium position because they get after quarterbacks because quarterbacks are so important in the college game and the NFL game as well. Uh, but I, I just think the fact that, that Justin Fields is a quarterback and that he's a dual-threat quarterback that is not just a, a one-dimensional dual-threat quarterback. A lot of times you hear the word dual-threat or the phrase dual-threat quarterback and really what they mean is a guy that can do, he's a really mobile guy and, and sometimes not as polished of a passer. That's not the case with Justin Fields. Yes, he is absolutely a major threat with his legs, and that's actually the underrated aspect of his game. But he can absolutely sling the football. The, the crazy thing about Justin Fields is during this entire summer camp circuit, spring and summer camp circuit, where he kind of just shot up the, the rating charts, that was all about him using his arm. Without him using his legs at all, that wasn't really wasn't a factor in him improving his ranking. He was just carving defenses up with his arm so you take that and then you throw in his legs his ability to run the football the guy is he's an unbelievable prospect so I would say yes I think 100% he would have been the number one prospect in 2017 2016 I don't know if I'm as comfortable saying that I think we had he would have had a shot but at the top of the list there in 2016, you had Rashawn Gary, big-time defensive tackle prospect, goes to Michigan. Another big-time defensive tackle prospect and Dexter Lawrence that goes to Clemson. And both those guys are already making major contributions to their teams. Uh, and, and just like the quarterback's a premium position, so is defensive tackle. That's a really hard position to find. It's, it's so rare to find guys that are that big and that physically dominant and can also move like Gary and Lawrence do. So it had been tougher for him to overtake those guys as as good as Fields is, you can find a lot. Of, it's easier to find a dual threat quarterback than it is to find those big defensive tackles that can move like Gary and Lawrence. So I don't know if 16, he would have been number one. He would have been up there. He, he would have been in competition for that slot, but I think definitely would have had a better shot to be number one in the 2017 class if I had my say there. All right, but great question, Ellis. And the number six here, Jesse on Twitter. I appreciate the question, Jesse. And Jesse asks, how many teams in the nation 
could have beaten us on Saturday night? That's a good question. It's hard to say. Right now, we're still early in the season. I think we are. We're, every week, we're learning more and more about the different teams out there nationally. Uh, obviously, Bama is is crazy good. You know, they've already beaten Florida State, and that's the game where DeAndre Francois played the majority of the game. Uh, we all saw what they did to Vanderbilt, but I mean, come on, it's Vanderbilt. But they did what Alabama does to teams that are less fortunate than them, and they just absolutely destroy their souls. Um, so I think Alabama is a team that could have beaten us on Saturday night. Look, we played really, really well. We did. We executed really well. Jim Chaney called a great game. We actually executed, which is something we haven't done consistently through the past year or so. Uh, and defensively, we're, we're just playing at, a, at an elite level right now defensively. We, we absolutely are. It's a great offensive football team, a very dangerous rushing football team that we completely shut down. Um, so I think – we're really good, but like I said on Monday's show, we're not unbeatable. We're, we're still a flawed team. All these teams in the top ten have flaws, and, and we're no different. Uh, we still have some issues we got to work out. We're going to see if Jake Fromm, if he has to be, if he's the, the guy down the road long term. We don't know how that's going to work out. Is he going to be capable of putting the team on his back in certain situations if necessary? Throw the ball 30, 40 times to win a football game? I don't know if that's the answer right now. How good is our offensive line? Can our offensive line hold up against the better defensive fronts we're going to face? Mississippi State has a good defensive front. Jeffrey Simpson is a really good defensive lineman there playing the nose guard position for them. I thought Lamont Gilliard did a really good job against him. I thought we did a great job overall for most of the night running the football. It wasn't necessarily explosive outside of a couple plays. You know, Obviously, the touchdown run by Chubb and the Wild Dog. Uh, but I'd like to see against some of the better defenses on our schedule what our offensive line can do there. Um, when we get against some of these really good offensive teams that are more balanced, that can run and throw. Because let's face it, Notre Dame runs the ball really well. Mississippi State runs the ball really well. But those are relatively one-dimensional football teams. Uh, I don't know if we really played a truly balanced football team to this point in the year. So I'd be interested to see what we do in a setting like that. But um, we're a good football team. We're just not unbeatable. I think we could beat anyone in the top 10 on any given night. Bama, that might be stretching. And if we played really great and they just weren't ready or they just didn't have their, their A game, maybe we could sneak one out there. But if you look at the top 10, Clemson is really good. I, I think that's a really flawed team. I'm not completely sold on them. I know they got some good wins. They beat Auburn at home. But Auburn played like trash offensively because Auburn offensively is, is trash outside of their beat down of Missouri. And Missouri is what Missouri is at this point. Uh, but I, I think we could at least – hold our own against Clemson, have a really good shot to beat them if we play well. Washington, a team like that, absolutely. Uh, Penn State wasn't overwhelming against Iowa. Watch that entire game. Penn State dominated that game, but they didn't dominate the scoreboard. Although Saquon Barkley is, like I said, probably the one of the, one of the if not the best players in the country. He's really, really good. Jason Story is a good quarterback. But, hey, I feel good about our, our, us matching up against them. Michigan, I absolutely would put us up against Michigan right now. But the thing is, while I think we could handle ourselves against all those teams, on any given night, those teams could beat us too. The talent gap is not that great between us and those teams. Uh, but we, like, like you were saying, I think your point was that we played really well on Saturday night, and we did. And if any of those teams matched up, with, matched up with us on Saturday night, I might like our chances outside of maybe Alabama. Uh, next question here, Tim. Appreciate the question, Tim. Tim, man, you must be reading my mind, dude, because I've been this is something I've been thinking about and we're well, talking about for a while too. And Tim is looking at the Solomon Kinley injury with his uh, ankle getting re-sprained. It looks like he asks, should Ben Cleveland or Justin Schaefer get a look at right guard with Kinley hurt again? I just don't see Dyshawn Sims being the answer there. Tim, I tend to agree with you on Dyshawn Sims. And look, I, I take no pleasure whatsoever in saying that. Dyshawn Sims has been here a long time. He could have transferred, got some more playing time somewhere else. He's been a great teammate, a great leader for this team. But I, I, I don't feel comfortable with him there. I, I, I think you're right. I take no pleasure in saying that, but I just think that's the case right now. I think we've seen enough of Dyshawn Sims to be able to 
to, to say that he's not the answer there. So I would absolutely be on board with getting Ben Cleveland or Justin Schaefer, Schaefer some looks at right guard because I, I've said ad nauseum. Curtis and I have been talking about this since the offseason. The issue with our offensive line last year was simply a size deficiency. Okay, It was a personnel issue. We didn't have the, the beef in the interior like we needed to run the kind of offense that we want to run, that downhill kind of attacking style, just kind of imposing our will on you with the run game. We just didn't have the ability to do that with the size deficiency that we had up front. We had averaging, what, about 285, maybe 290 pounds across line of scrimmage. And right now, you hear this often, we're the smallest team in the SEC on the offensive line, but averaging 298 pounds across the board. And so Dyshawn Sims doesn't fit that, he doesn't fix that problem. He actually, he adds to the, to the issue, okay? Instead of fixing it, he's making the issue worse. So, and I've been on Ben Cleveland for a while saying this guy is 100% a guard. Like, I'm not Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman knows a hell of a lot more about football than I do. I mean, I typically always even defer to the coaches. But on this one, I just can't quite figure out why we've been putting Ben Cleveland at right tackle for a while now, since the spring. I don't think the guy has the footwork to really ever be a consistent tackle, whether it's left tackle or right tackle. I think he's a prototypical guard. I know he's had some bend issues, some flexibility issues, but from all accounts, we haven't really seen him, but from all accounts, he's improving in that regard. Uh, But he's just a big dude that gives us some size, 340 plus pounds, got great strength, one of the strongest guys on the team. I think he can really solve some of the size issues if he can figure out what to do and kind of play up to the coach's standards there. So I, I think that's something I would definitely look at. And I'm recording this show Monday night and uh, reading about what happened with practice on Monday. Again, the media only see about 7 to 10 minutes of practice, so take this with a grain of salt. But Ben Cleveland, at least while the media was out there during the early portions of practice in those early periods, which is basically warm-ups, to be honest. It's basically warm-ups. But Ben Cleveland was getting reps with the uh, offensive line at right guard, which is not has not been the case since the early stages of spring practice. Justin Schaefer's still getting some looks there as well, or at the guard position. So I think that's very telling, the fact that Cleveland is moving at least this week to right guard when he's been working at right tackle almost exclusively. To me, it's just too coincidental to say, oh yeah, Ben Cleveland just happened to be getting some looks at right guard, at least while the media's out there, the week that Solomon Kinley got hurt. That's just, uh, I'm not sure I'm buying that as a, as a coincidence. I think our coaches saw in the Notre Dame game the difference between having Kinley in there with his size and having Dyshawn Sims in there. When Kinley goes in, even with the, coming off the ankle injury, we were able to move the ball and score. Uh, and I, I think they understand that the size deficiency is what's hurting us. And they want to get some big dudes on the interior. And Ben Cleveland certainly fits that bill. So, I think we're, depending on how long Kinley's out, we don't know the ankle injury right now. We know it's not broken. The x-rays were negative. We just know it's he re-sprained it. We'll see what that means, how many weeks that comes out to. Maybe we'll be playing this week. Who knows? But I think we're definitely getting Ben Cleveland ready to fill that role if necessary because we know we need some size there. Um, so we'll see. Keep it, Definitely keeping an eye on that one, Tim. It's a great point. All right, question number eight here. Jamie, thanks for the question, man. Jamie, uh, it's great. It's a very good question here also, Jamie. How do we keep from suffering the same fate Mississippi State suffered last week against us, winning big at home and then going on the road for a tough game? Jamie, uh, look, man, I, I, I think the, it, it should be as simple as just saying, hey, we have to stay consistent. We have to stay hungry. But it's one of those things that's far easier said than done at this stage. Yes, stay focused. Yes, stay hungry. But how exactly do you do that? And that's that's what the coaches get paid the big bucks for, man. Our coaches have their work cut out for them because you're right. We have a huge win. You got to do a, a great job keeping these guys grounded, kind of keeping them down to earth here a little bit uh, and, and making sure they don't get ahead of themselves. We have a long way to go. Yes, we've had some good wins. But we also have a lot of things to work on. And going into Neyland Stadium, 
that's no easy task no matter what's going on with the Tennessee football program. Every time we go, even when we have the better team, it's, it seems to always be a dogfight. And, and let's also be real about this. It shouldn't be too hard for our team to get motivated after last year's debacle with the Hail Mary. I mean, that's the kind of game that you just don't forget about. It leaves a scar. And, it, and I, it's, I'm sure it's left a scar for the players. I know it's left a scar. I mean, that's a wound. I, it's still an open, very much an open wound for me. That has not healed. It's, it's hard for me to even sit here and talk about it. It pisses me off just even thinking about it. Just still very, very painful. Still too early. But, um, I mean, Kirby even said this week, and the players have mentioned this, that, uh, all throughout the offseason, you know, during spring practice, fall camp, right now during the, during the season, we're working on the Hail Mary plays every single week. And not only that, but he's consistently reminding the players that it wasn't just the Hail Mary that cost that game. It was the undisciplined play of running on the field. Thank you, Rico McGraw. Appreciate it, dude. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. Uh, but that undisciplined play that even made it possible for that Hail Mary to happen. So, you know our guys from this. Our coaches will never let them forget that. And it, not that they would have to remind them. Our guys know what happened. So I, I think the revenge factor there and just understanding what happened, I, I think we're going to be plenty motivated and, and uh, focused and ready to play this game after what happened last year. And our coaches, I think I, I really like the mindset our coaches have kind of instilled in this program. Uh, guys have really bought in with much more business-like attitude and mindset like we talked about on Monday's show. All right, question number nine. Russell, thanks for the question. Russell asks, do you credit our strong offense performance to against Mississippi State to Jim Chaney with the game plan or Jake Fromm for reading the coverage and running the show? And you can't say a little bit of both. Man, I'm making it tough me, Russell, because usually the answer is somewhere in the middle, right? Well, if I had to pick one, and we talked about this a little bit on Monday's show, so I apologize for those of you listening to that show and this is kind of repetitive, but I definitely want to answer Russell's question. Uh, I think I would give Jim Chaney a little bit more credit here. It, but football is the ultimate team sport, so you got to call the play, you got to dial it up, and the players got to execute. It really comes down t- to that. But uh, look, I just want to say this about Jim Chaney, and I, and I mentioned this a little bit on Monday. It's not like this is the first time Jim Chaney has dialed up good plays for us. It's not the first time he's called a good game. I know a lot of people in the fan base want to say it is. Like, oh my God, finally Jim Chaney. If you really watch closely last year, guys, and I spent the entire summer just pouring through every single game we played last year multiple times, and he dialed up plays in good in, in entire games plenty of times last year. We just simply didn't execute it, whether it was the fact that we couldn't protect the quarterback, we couldn't open up holes in the run game. When we, when we protect the quarterback, he doesn't hit the guy down the field when the shot, when the layup's there. If he hits the guy, the receiver drops it. Somewhere along the way, there's a breakdown in execution, whether it's the quarterback, the offensive line, the running back, the receiver, somewhere. Just It was far too rare for us to actually execute all the way across the board. Well, on Saturday night, Cheney again called a great game, called an outstanding game. And maybe it was a better game than he's called in a while. Maybe that was, but he dialed up some plays like he did a lot of times last year. And the difference was we just executed. We protected the quarterback. The quarterback put it on the receivers. Receivers caught the ball, except for Terry Godwin on that one particular play. But still, Terry's playing really well, so I don't want to hate on Terry too much. Uh, but we just executed all around. He called great plays. We executed. So credit really does go all the way around. But I, I, I would maybe lean towards Cheney a little bit more because a lot of those plays, a lot of those big-time uh, explosive plays we had, that was him just just dialing up some absolutely beautiful calls, whether it's the flea flicker to open the game or open our, our first series, the wild dog, uh, the play action to Nada for the long touchdown. Just did a great job keeping Mississippi State off balance, throwing the ball on first down, throwing the ball on third and short situations and kind of breaking tendencies. So I'm going to give Jim Chain a little bit of a shout-out there. All right, last question here. Uh, Alvin, Alvin, thank you for the question, man. We appreciate it, buddy. It's a great question, too, man. You guys have kind of outdid yourselves. They had a lot of great questions on the mailbag show today, so keep sending those in, guys. Alvin asks, 
Do you think our defense will be playing the way they are now if Lorenzo Carter and David Bellamy would have left early? Man, that's a great question, Alvin. It really is. Uh, I'll say this. I, I would... I think we would still be very good defensively because we have a lot of other players that would, that would have been returning off last year's defense. Obviously, Roquan Smith, who, in my opinion, you guys know if you listen to the show, I think he's an All-American. you got Trent Thompson coming back. Jonathan Ledbetter's been playing great. Tyler Clark's been playing outstanding on the defensive line. Uh, DeAndre Walker's taking a nice step forward, uh, playing an outside linebacker in, uh, as, a, as a reserve behind Carter and Bellamy. You've got the guys secondary, Aaron Davis, uh, obviously Dominic Sanders. You've got a lot of guys coming back. Malcolm Parrish, all he's been hurt. But I really think Carter and Bellamy, particularly Lorenzo Carter, him coming back has been huge this defense. I mean, it's a big reason why he's been so effective against the run in particular. Lorenzo's versatility has allowed us to keep base personnel, like I said earlier in the show, it's allowed us to keep base personnel on the field far more often than what is typically considered normal against spread sets. And he, we're able to do that because Lorenzo is just a unique athlete. He's a big physical guy who can support against the run, but he can also play out in space and kind of fill that hybrid star outside linebacker role where he can, he can actually match up in the slot, but he can also, if, if he reads run, can fill against the run as well. And that has really, really allowed us to do a lot of different things defensively. That versatility has been just it's been invaluable this year. I think it's a huge part of why we've had so much early success defensively, particularly against the run. All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and bring in Blake Topmeyer, the Tennessee beat writer from Tennessee's largest newspaper, the Knoxville News Sentinel. If you want an informed take on a rival, you guys can follow Blake on Twitter at BTopmeyer and check out all of his work on the Knoxville News Sentinel website. Blake, really appreciate you joining us today, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Tyler. All right. Before we dig into the nuts and bolts of this Tennessee football team, let's start with the general mood surrounding the volunteer program. There were some photos of a very empty Nayland Stadium just before kickoff and at halftime of last weekend's game against UMass. They kind of made the rounds last Saturday afternoon. And then you had Butch Jones address some of the negativity surrounding the program earlier this week at his press conference. So you combine that, and from the outside looking in at least, it seems as though there's quite a bit of negativity swirling around the Tennessee program right now. So, Blake, since you are much closer to the program than any of us, how would you describe the general state of mind among the Tennessee fan base and alumni at this time? say concern would, would be probably an accurate word i mean uh you know coming off of a, a loss to, to florida that i think felt all too familiar to the, the road loss that tennessee had in the swamp two years ago uh when when they had uh you know that that game in a, in a good position and, and blew a 13 point lead in the fourth quarter uh, you know this one they they didn't blow this blow lead but uh, had tied the game and then just uh, kind of had a disaster on, on the final play there it felt like i said a little bit too familiar i i, I think and then you know, to come out against umass and just kind of muddle its way to a victory i don't think was really reassuring uh to, to probably any fans it, it, you know it's a umass team that's now zero and five that's the type of game that you look at on, on the schedule and think okay this is going to be a tune-up uh, before they face Georgia the following week and it, and it was anything but I mean right. I, I never really had the huge feeling that Tennessee was going to lose but but it, frankly I mean they were they were one blown tackle one busted defensive play away from from losing that game Saturday in regards to the the attendance I mean yeah I think I, I think that's true it was a half-empty stadium against UMass but also I think that's probably more reflective of uh, attendance in college football across the country I mean you you, you pull up uh, uh, games on, on whatever channel you want to watch on and, and uh, you know there's a lot of half-empty stadiums out there especially when uh, you're looking at games against non-conference non-marquee opponents uh, now the flip side of that was that it was a more compelling game than probably what most fans 
would have expected. Uh, but All right, let's move on to some actual on-field talk, and let's briefly talk about the UMass game from last weekend, a game in which Tennessee eked out a win and avoided major embarrassment with a late fourth-quarter stop. So was that performance about the Vols looking ahead to the Georgia game? Was it a hangover from the floor loss? How do you kind of account for a performance like that? What was that all about? Well, I, I think we have to consider the the real possibility is that just this is a, a flawed Tennessee team. You know, I mean, right. I, I, yeah, I think we could say maybe they were overlooking UMass or maybe this was a, a hangover from a, the Florida thing. And but to me, those are all intangible things. It, it's hard to prove that any of those things was was true. I, I think what we we can start definitively saying um, at, at this point, in the season four games in, is that uh, Tennessee's production from its quarterback position has been mediocre, uh, hasn't been great, hasn't been horrible, it's been purely mediocre. Offensive line, fairly mediocre, um, and, and I think that was, again, the care day. Defensively, it was probably uh, Tennessee's, well, I mean, I guess it was their best performance of the year, I mean, either that or Indiana State, but, right. uh, I mean, when you, when you look at it, the, uh, every defense at least in the pass rush has done really good against UMass so how much of the the seven sack performance was a credit to Tennessee how much of it was the fact that UMass's offensive line can't protect their quarterback it's hard to say but you know really yeah I I think that's what it comes down to is the fact that you know I don't know if this was overlooking opponent or or hangover I think what it really comes down to is that this is just a flawed football team but Tennessee has a lot of company in in that regard I mean you look around the SEC right now and there's uh, very few teams that I I think you can look at and say this is a a well-polished machine now one of the exceptions to that might might be the team coming into uh, Neyland Stadium on Saturday absolutely and Georgia is definitely playing well right now but like Tennessee Georgia is still definitely a flawed team there's plenty of issues that they still have to work through uh, now looking specifically at some of the players here, running back John Kelly is he's definitely one of the bright spots in the Tennessee football team right now he's off to a torrid start to the 2017 season he's currently leading the league in rushing with 112 yards a game roughly about 5.6 yards a carry uh, but really like you kind of were mentioning there it's the flawed teams outside of really two quarters against uh, two really fourth quarters I guess against Georgia Tech and Florida this offense as a whole has experienced some struggles, and they, they're, they're currently ninth in the conference, about 381 yards a game. Not a terrible number, but somewhat incongruent with the fact that they do have the league's leading rusher, and definitely a step back from last year's offense that averaged nearly 450 yards a game. So what is it that has held this Tennessee offense from being as consistent and dangerous as they were last year, at least at this point in the 2017 season? Well, I think probably the, the biggest thing is you got to start with the most important position at quarterback. I mean, last year uh, they had a, a senior in, in Josh Dobbs playing really well at that position and, uh, you know, was a dual threat, was a guy that ran the read option system really well, and now you're breaking in a, a new quarterback that, as I said, he's had some bright moments, but overall it's been fairly inconsistent, so much so that uh, Butch Jones replaced Quentin Dormady in the second half for three series uh, against, the U- against UMass. So I think that's where, uh, you know, the conversation starts. But it it goes beyond that. I mean, I I think this team could use another playmaker, too, on the perimeter. The injury to Juwan Jennings, um, you know, who who Georgia fan catch last year. Um, You know, he's out for the season with a wrist injury. He was their their top wide receiver, so that doesn't help. Um, You know, the offensive line has been banged up. They were down uh, arguably their best lineman, Jay Sean Robertson, who's their starting center. Uh, against UMass, Butch Jones said on, on Monday today that uh, he expects Robertson probably will 
will play against Georgia, that would be a help because, as I said, I, he's their most experienced lineman. I think he's probably their best lineman, uh, and and could help a line that that really you know failed to dominate UMass up front the way it probably probably should have and was expected to do. So, you know, I, I think really just as you run down this offense, Tyler. I, I mean, other than John Kelly, I don't know that they have very many. You know, plus players. They, they don't have a. You know, they got a bunch of guys that are just kind of average SEC players right now. Jay Sean Robertson's an exception. He's a, he's a very good offensive lineman. Uh, John, John Kelly, as I said, is probably an exception. And, and perhaps Trey Smith, uh, the freshman guard. I think he's. I think he got a lot of guys on offense that are just kind of performing like average SEC talent right now. Yeah, it's, it certainly seems that way through four games. Now, on the other side of the ball, the Tennessee defense has seen again at least through four games a statistical improvement from surrendering nearly 450 yards a game last season, which, to be fair, there were a lot of injuries that played uh, that really played into that. But now they're giving about 382 yards a game through four games this season. So has the, the statistical improvement under defense coordinator Bob Shoup in his second year, has, is that matching what you've seen with your own two eyes with the eye test? It's hard to say because, you know, in – a lot of those numbers are, are influenced by half of their games being against, you know, really, I mean, well, one FCS opponent right. and then one of the worst FBS teams in the country in, in UMass. So it's it's really hard to, I think, take too much from those numbers. Uh, and the defense got fairly gutted against Georgia Tech in the opener uh, by their option offense and, and didn't look very good at all. And I, I think a lot of fans were hitting the panic button at, at that point. And then it has come back and, and, and done some good things the following three weeks. Uh, against Florida, the defense fell apart in the fourth quarter but for the first three quarters of that game uh, the defense was the only reason the balls were even had a, a sniff of a hope of, of winning that game right. so you know overall I, I guess I would say the defense has been good enough they haven't they haven't been dominant uh, but you know for, for three or four games of the season they've been good enough and and uh, you, know, you mentioned some of the injuries last year that's been a problem again this season with uh, you know Darren Kirkland their middle linebacker out for the year with an injury and, and another linebacker starter Cortez McDowell is likely out for the year with an injury Todd Kelly Jr. their their leading tackler from last year out for probably out for the year with an injury so um, you know there's a lot of teams in the country that can rattle off several injuries. Tennessee's not the only one dealing with that, but uh, certainly it didn't help matters. But um, I, I think overall, outside of that Georgia Tech game, you know, you can't really say that the defense has, has cost them too much. Uh, it, I think the biggest problem, really, and, and Bob Shoup hit on this last week, is the cat, as he called them, the catastrophic plays, and that's really. And it's true. Uh, Tennessee has allowed nine plays this year of at least 30-plus yards, which, I mean, that's too many. You look at the numbers, yeah, and most teams have, have not allowed that many. And, and so that is the problem. It's not the, the play after play. You know, play by play, this defense has been pretty good. But there's been three, four times a game that they, they get gashed for, for a big one, and, and that's kind of what's what's holding this defense back uh, uh, from being a little bit better. Absolutely. And you mentioned, that again, that they're, that they're definitely suffering from a lot of injuries. Yet again, in the 2017 season on the defensive side of the ball. So, of the guys who are left on that defense, who are the key players for this unit that George Robbins coordinator Jim Chaney has to specifically kind of game plan for and design his game plan around? 
Well, I, I think the Daniel Batuli uh, linebacker is, has been playing uh, fairly well. He's adjusting to making the defensive calls now. He's being asked to do that uh, in a lot of, uh, especially when, when Tennessee plays a, a nickel formation, which they do a lot. But he, he's a leading tackler, a sophomore, um, who, who stepped in and, and, and stepped up. Uh, I, I think their nickelback, who plays a lot because that's kind of Tennessee's base package, um, Rashawn Galden has, has played, played pretty well this season and and then up front i i think daryl taylor defensive end uh, has probably been the most sure thing up front and finally blake we'll get you out of here on this one i'm not going to ask you for a prediction because i know you have your own content to put out this week but if you would finish the following sentence for me tennessee will beat georgia on saturday afternoon if i think if they can uh can establish the running game and kind of dominate a really tall task. And I, I think that's maybe one of the, the top issues in this game for Tennessee is the fact that Georgia has uh, you know, one of the, the top run defenses in the conference. And, and as you, uh, you know, mentioned earlier, John Kelly is the most sure thing that Tennessee has offensively. But if Tennessee gets Jay Sean Robertson back on the offensive line this week, and if they can find some way um, to s- sort of establish uh, the line of scrimmage and, and uh, you know, establish their best player, John Kelly, then I think that gives them a chance. All right, Blake. We definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join us today, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Tyler. All right, take care. A lot of interesting things there from Blake. I really think he's correct when he said that Tennessee just doesn't have a lot of ultra-talented players right now. John Kelly is awesome. Marquez Calloway has flashed serious ability, and so has Daniel Batuli at inside linebacker. And we know Nigel Warrior, guy from George, is a very good safety. But outside of that, they are, like Blake said, just very much a flawed team. But Curtis will be back for Thursday's preview show, and we will absolutely break all of that down for you guys in detail. So that'll do it for today's show. I really appreciate appreciate you guys sticking with me on the solo outing here. It always feels weird talking to myself, but I hope you guys enjoyed it regardless. Make sure to check back with us on Thursday as we break down this game from top to bottom and give our picks of the week. And as always, guys, go dogs.